to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Thank you, everyone, for joining today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Chris Noggle. Chris has dedicated his life to being America's number one money mentor. His success includes managing over $30 million in assets in the financial services and advisory industry and tens of millions in real estate businesses with over 200 transactions and an HGTV pilot show since 2014. And in 20 years, Chris has built and owned 16 companies with his businesses being featured in Forbes, ABC, and House Hunters. And he's currently the co-founder and CEO of Flipout Academy, founder of The Money School, and Money Mentor for The Money Multiplier. So I'm super excited to have you on the show today, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much. So I'd really love to hear a little bit more about your background, Chris, if you can please share and you know how you got started in real estate. Yeah, the real estate story is an interesting one. I started like so many others listening to this. You know, I lower middle class family. I was raised by my mom. Dad was an alcoholic, so he wasn't in the picture much. And when I was young, I was just always taught to dream. We couldn't afford things, so I would just dream up the craziest things from skateboards to snowboards to dirt bike tracks. And as I would think about them, I would materialize them and make them happen. And that's how I learned to get things, just dream them and keep working toward them until, until it actually happened. And what ended up happening is when I got into my teens and got a big boy job, I was working at a restaurant and I was degraded so badly that I came in one day and I, I quit. I quit trading hours for dollars. And that was the moment when I became an entrepreneur. But I think that was really the moment where I just said, this isn't for me. I'm going to just try to blaze my own path. And I came home and I said, mom, I quit my job. I thought she was going to be mad. I said, you know, can I start a clothing line in the basement? So I renovated the basement and that's where my first business was started at 16 years old, back clothing company. I would take my samples that we would sew. My mom was a seamstress, so she would sew the shirts. I would screen print them at school and I would sell them on the road and different snowboarding events, and different shops along the way. And the next big dream was to build my own shop. I, I wanted a store where I could do this and sell all my, my clothing. So Fat Man Board Shops came to when I was 17 turning 18. But at that point, I didn't have... $70,000 to open the store. That's what it was going to take. And I got told no by every single person I asked because I went around asking for money and everybody, you know, when you ask for money, you're in a position of weakness. I got told no, no, absolutely not. Except for my mom saw this happening and she had one thing and one thing only from an asset standpoint, that was the house, how she got in the divorce. And she saw this dream dying and she said, you know what? I'm going to put my house on the line so that you can chase your dream. And really how I saw that is, wow, mom, you're putting your house on the line. So me, the crazy punk snowboarder can open a skateboard shop. And that's where it began. 17 years old, 1994 was the year Batman board shop was born. And that was the moment where I really got scared because, you know, it was one thing to have a clothing line, but now I got mom's house on the line and I had five years worth of payments. And it was an interesting time, but things went great. I, I went on to be a pro snowboarder. So that's one of the big highlights in my life. And in the early 2000s, I had three stores going, snowboarding professionally, and then the, the first dot-com recession hit. I had no idea what a recession was. When it hit, I realized, oh my God, I got to get a job. First time in all those years that I actually had to go back to getting a job. And I was either going to deliver pizzas or get a real job. And where I landed is one that I never saw coming. It was Wall Street. 
So I ended up getting a job as a financial advisor. And at first it was supposed to be a temporary thing, but it ended up being something I loved and excelled at. And I remember through those 2000s, from 2003 to 2008, I rose to be one of the top financial advisors. In 2006, I did my first real estate flip. I mean, and I know you talk to a lot of people about real estate, but mine was just like so many others. I saw it on TV. I'm like, wow, 23 minutes. I can flip a house and make $40,000. Sign me up. (laughs) (laughs) So I did my first, I made a whopping eight grand and it took me almost a year to get it done. In 2017, we did another one. And then in 2018, I took a deep dive. I had my stores and my lease came due and I was going to buy this dilapidated paint store converted into a three-unit strip mall so that my tenants could pay the, the mortgage payment and I could just rent for free. I mean, why pay somebody else rent when you can pay yourself rent? So I got into this and you remember 2008. Yeah. Wasn't exactly the right time to do this, but I didn't know. And that great recession hit me like a Mack truck. And this is where the story really takes a big twist. I went from having great money, making a ton, to basically not having anything, losing it all. I still made it through that time, but I made it through because my girlfriend had just moved in and I asked her to pay the mortgage, the utilities, and to allow me to move two people into my house and rent bedrooms. That's how I got through that. But 2009 to 14, I switched gears and I sold my retail stores and I started focusing on real estate because I kind of thought I liked it. And I started buying apartment buildings because they were pennies on the dollar. And Warren Buffett says, buy low, sell high, and don't lose money. So that's what I did. 2009 to 14, I got up 36 units, thought I was doing great. And then I got my 37th unit and the bank said no. And then I got a little behind and the bank froze my lines of credit. Basically, it was like cutting my arm off because now I couldn't renovate the units. And I ended up having to sell all of those 36 units. I had to sell the dream house that me and my girlfriend, who is now my fiance, bought. So all I'm trying to do is paint this picture of this roller coaster that I was on. Life started out great, like big dreams, like accomplishing them. Then all of a sudden I made it. And then all of a sudden I felt flat on my face and I made it again. And then I lost it all again. And in 14, that was the hardest one because I literally thought I had it. And then it was just taken away just like that. And I just started questioning everything. I landed in a three-day seminar because they were giving away a free iPod shuffle, not because I wanted to learn how to flip houses, but because they were giving away the iPod shuffle. I was there and I met two guys, Greg and Mike. They were up in the front of the room talking about money and how they were using it. And me as the advisor, I kind of had this arrogant side when I was doing it because advisors always think they know everything about money. So did I. And they're talking about using money, private banks and all this stuff that I'd never heard about in my entire life. Even as a high level advisor, I'd never heard these things. And I was intrigued. And I, I remember I started mentoring with them and I started learning the other things they did. I'm like, wait, you can do this? Holy cow, we only dreamt of doing that as an advisor. And I started uncovering all these secrets and all these things that I never learned, that no one ever told me about, that no one ever you know, wanted me to know. And that's kind of where the story really t- takes a very unique twist because I focused everything. Every dollar that I made in real estate and in my job, I would put into masterminds and mentorships. And all I wanted to do is figure out when am I going to meet the next multimillionaire, next billionaire, and ask them the question, what are you doing with money? How are you handling money? You know, I got really good at asking them. And I literally, this is the end of the story, but in doing this for years, I started seeing patterns, very distinct patterns of what these wealthy individuals were doing with money that nobody else was doing. 
that nobody I'd ever worked with in the advisory world was doing. Nobody was even talking about this stuff, but all these wealthy people are doing the same darn thing. I'm like, this is like a secret cult or they know something that we don't. And that's exactly it. So a lot of things happen. You mentioned them in my bio. You know, we had a show on HGTV and all sorts of other fun stuff, lots of flips. But really, my passion today is helping people solve their money problem by helping them take back control of their money. And that was the biggest thing. The wealthy are in control of their money. And the average person is not. They're taught to give up control of their money. And that's where the story begins. Uh, thanks for sharing, Chris. You have a there was a lot, quite a, a lot of experience in your background on how you got to where you are today. Throughout your entire past, you've had a lot of ups and downs to where you are today. And as you're kind of going through the low times and trying to get to the next step, what was about it that kind of made you keep pushing through and keep trying to take that next step and not give up? It's easy to talk about it, you know, when, when it's already passed. But when I was in that moment, I did want to quit. I just got to be honest. Like, I really did. I wanted to just throw my arms up and say, I give up. Like, I'm just going to be normal. I'm just going to go get a job and work for somebody else. And I'm just going to do what everybody tells me to do. And I'm just going to conform, right? We all know that, right? In life, we get kicked down so many times. And sometimes we just don't want to get back up because conforming is way easier than creating. But I don't know what it was. There was always something when I was at that, that moment where you're at the lowest point where you're just like, I'm just going to give up. And you even say it to yourself. You say, that's it. I'm going to give up. I'm just going to, my mom said, just go get a job. Just be normal. Just live a simple life. And every time I thought about that and actually took that next step to do it, I said, this isn't what I was meant to do. And there was always that one person in my life. And it, it was various different people that I met that always gave me that one, that hope. Like it was that light in the darkness. I always saw that light and I just focused on it. And I said, you know what? Somebody once told me, they said, the only way you can fail is to quit. And that never left me. I said, you know, if I can only get through this period and not quit in doing it, then I can't ever fail. And once you get through a couple of those roller coasters, you start realizing that that's actually just learning. Everything you did down in those low times when you were ready to just throw in the towel and quit that's when you learn the most because that's when you were willing to accept things that in other times when things are good, you weren't willing to look at them or accept them. And I think that's the big takeaway is people learn more from failures than they do from success. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I totally agree with that. And instead of just giving up and then just moving on to something that maybe you're not satisfied with and just being complacent with where you are, just taking those experiences and just learning and continuously improving and seeing where you can go from there instead of just just accepting everything and just saying like, I'm just happy with where I am or like, I'm just very complacent. I'm just going to go the easy path down this road instead. Yeah. Earl Nightingale did this skit, you know, on his YouTube. And one of the things it said is it did a poll of 120 year olds. And if you ask them all, if they're going to be successful, they'd all say, yes, absolutely. I'm going to be a multimillionaire. I'm going to be successful. But If you fast forward through time and you make it to 65, only five out of those 120-year-olds, those ambitious 20-year-olds, are financially successful. So literally, the failure rate for success is 95%, according to the Social Security Administration. And he also goes on to say there's only one reason this happened. 95 of them informed. Five of them created the financial future they want. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. 
Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. It's totally within your control on what you want to do with it. And if you continuously to push forward and not let these failures stop you, but instead, like you were mentioning, take it as learning and just continuing to grow, you can get much further with that. And so for you, Chris, as you were building up and then you said you went to the seminar and you met your two mentors that were there and you had heard about these different ways to use other money to invest. What were some of those things that you had learned that you weren't really savvy to? And why do you think that you had never heard about before being in the financial business? Yeah, the reason I never heard about it being in the financial business is simple. There was no money in it. And being in the financial business, our goal was to always sell something or do something that made us or our brokerage a lot of money. So if there's no money in it, why would we ever be taught to teach it So or talk about it to our clients? So the one thing, well, there's a lot of things that I took away from these, these wealthy individuals, but the biggest thing I remember and the most, the most prevalent amongst all of them is they all understood that in life, we're all taught to give up control of our money. And they realized that that was a huge problem because if you're not in control of your money, you miss opportunities. And somebody else is always making money on your money. And this comes back to the theory, and a lot of them would call it privatized banking or being your own bank or you know, taking back the financial aspects of your life. And it always, the one, I remember Mike was that one guy I talked about at Cheesecake Factory. We were there talking and he tells me about privatized banking and he's explaining, he's, he's going through this whole thing. And I remember when he told me what it was, I remember looking at him saying, Mike, listen, I'm a financial advisor, man, and that doesn't work that way. And then he looked back at me and he says, if it doesn't work that way, how have I been lending you money from this private bank all of these years? And I said, you know, I'm the one missing something, not him. And I'm the one being arrogant into the point where I don't want to learn. So Mike, teach me. And he sends me to this guy, Brent. And Brent, I get him on the phone. I'm so excited. Brent, Brent, you got to teach me about this privatized banking thing. He says, awesome. You know, I'm telling him I'm an advisor and everything else. And he finally says to me, he says, you got to watch a 90 minute video and then we can set up a call. And I'm like, no, 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 Brian, I don't have time. I don't have 90 minutes. I don't want to watch a video. And to him, that video was that, that was the toll, right? You want my time to teach you about this. That video will teach you how to do it so that when we have that call, we can really just focus on what are your needs? What are your money problems and how do we solve them using this privatized banking? So I remember reluctantly, I watched that video and that video changed everything. Me. It was only 90 minutes and it changed everything because it showed me the light. And that light was this. Most people, when they get paid, and if anyone's just listening to this, I'm holding a $100 bill. They get paid and they take their money and they give it to the bank because we feel good about making deposits at the bank. It's just what we've been taught to do. When you make your money, you give it to the bank. Well, what the bank does is the bank, well, let me ask you what the bank doesn't do. Does the bank take your $100 and put it in a little box in the back with your name on it? Heck no. The bank takes your $100 and they loan that $100 out to the person out of that little glass cubicle. And they keep moving your money over 
and over and over again. And they make between 400 and 1300% more than we do. But we don't even think twice about that. We're like, okay, well, what's the interest rate? Oh, 0. 0.00001. Great. All right. Well, that's what it is. That's We just accepted that that's okay. Mm-hmm. That isn't okay. And the wealthy know it's not okay. And the wealthy did one thing different. They changed just one thing. And that was where this $100 went first. That's it. And when I heard this, like, you know, as soon as I say that, you start thinking, that sounds too good to be true. It can't be that simple. It is. It really is. If you change where your money, your savings goes first, a lot of your problems with money will go away. But first, you got to know where that money goes because everybody's like, oh, great. Well, Chris, where does that money have to go? The wealthy, the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, the Walt Disney's, the Ray Crocs, they didn't use banks to store their capital. They used insurance companies, giant mutually owned insurance companies. And the reason was they were safer than banks. Plus, insurance companies are in the business of guaranteeing things Banks, well, they might say they're guaranteed with FDIC, but maybe Google that one to see what you're really getting into. But insurance companies do guarantee things. And one of the things that these wealthy individuals knew that is, if I could get my money into the insurance company's general account, I'd make a handsome interest rate on my money. The problem was, is they couldn't just go to the insurance company, walk in and say, hey, hi, everybody, Mr. Rothschild or Mr. Rockefeller, I want to deposit my money in your insurance company. They'd laugh them out, of, out the door. So they had to find a way in to these, this general account. And what they found it with is a vehicle that you all know about, but very most misunderstood on what this piece of it is. And it is whole life insurance. We all know what whole life insurance is, right? It's, it's life insurance. Some people would even say it's overpriced life insurance that you buy that lasts your entire life. Oh, and by the way, you get a little cash value. And that is, that is the traditional life insurance that you've been taught. What the wealthy do is they use specially designed and engineered whole life policies to store their capital and use as their own banking system. So now let's kind of, let me just, now that you know what it is, if, if you haven't already got off this podcast, because you said that whole life is terrible because these are not normal whole life policies. So let's take that hundred dollars that I was talking about before. If I gave it to the bank, the bank pays me 1% or less. But if I just change where that money goes first and I put it into this specially designed and engineered whole life, which from now on, I'm going to call privatized bank. If I put it into my privatized bank, the insurance company guarantees me a 4% interest rate as of 2021. But not only that, these are mutually owned insurance companies. Therefore, they're going to pay me dividends every year on that money as well. So I can get up to 6% on my money. Now, would you rather earn what the conventional bank is paying you, 1% or less? Or would you rather earn 4% guaranteed plus dividends? I think you all know the answer. But now comes the, the other reason why people put money in the bank. We all think that we put money in the bank. We know we can come back to the bank and take that money out until COVID hit or any other recession when the bank said, you couldn't have all your money. But anyway, that's why we do it, liquidity. I put the 100 in, I can take the 100 back. But if I put the money into this specially designed whole life, I can't just take that money out. It's not even there. The insurance company took it all. Wrong, wrong wrong. You've been taught to believe that. I put that hundred in to that insurance company. I have the ability to take some of that money back out immediately in the first 30 days. Now, when I say the word some, some people get scared. 60 to 90%, if you want a percentage, depending on how we design your plan, you can take out 60 to 90%. So now let's just pretend that we put that hundred dollars into this specially designed and engineered whole life. And now I want to take $90 of that money back out 
and I want to pay off Visa because Visa has been robbing me blind with interest and I want to pay them off. So if I take $90, so let's just pretend that I'm holding $90 of the 100 that I deposited. And now we got to look at it. Okay, if I took 90 out, there's only $10 left in that, that specially designed and engineered whole life. So the insurance company must only be paying the interest and dividends on $10 because that's what my bank would do. Wrong. The insurance company didn't take my money out of my account. I have $100 sitting in my account, earning interest and dividends while I'm holding $90 of it in my hand. So where'd the 90 come from? Came from a loan. The insurance company made a loan from their general account. And that loan, when I say it, a lot of people are like, ooh, loan, bad debt. I don't want any more debt. But what if I told you that the loan the insurance company made you never needs to be paid back if you don't want to? Because the insurance company just gave me a loan and they took that loan, that $90, away from my death benefit. That's the second thing they promised. They promised 4% as of 2021 and a death benefit paid to my beneficiaries the day I graduate. Nice way of saying die. So if this $90 just comes off my death benefit, the insurance company's just giving me an advance of my death benefit. Sweet. All right. Now I got 90 bucks. I pay Visa. Now let's just say that Visa was charging me $10 a month on that $90 balance and it was 20% interest. I paid Visa off. I no longer owe Visa $10 a month. So what would most people do? They would just be like, great, I don't owe Visa $10 and they go below that $10. But not a wealthy individual, not somebody that is practicing you know, to be their own bank. Because what they would do is they would say, well, if I was okay giving $10 or 20% to Visa, then I should be okay writing that check to my bank and just changing the name on the check. Instead of writing Visa, I write the bank of Chris Nagel. And then I take that $10 every month, I set up a bill pay, and I deposit that $10 a month back in my banking policy. That whole process, I literally went from the left to the right, from the right back to the left. I just took back the wealth that I was giving away. And in doing money twice, I made interest and dividends on that policy because my money never left the account. And I took back $10 that I used to give away to Visa that I was paying 20% interest. Like that is, I think, a big mistake people make. We are taught, we're never taught how money works. We're taught how to go out and work for money. That's what we're taught. We're taught how to get a job or start a business and work, 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 work for money. And then when you get the money, we give up control of it to financial institutions or banks, and then we spend it all. 90 cents of every dollar is spent on some given to somebody else. What if we wanted to build wealth? This I remember the individual that told me this, I can't use his name, but he said to me, he says, Chris, wouldn't it make more sense if you wanted to build wealth to stop working harder, stop working longer, stop taking on more risk and start focusing on where your money's actually going that you're making? And I said, yeah, that is a novel idea. So he said, so figure it out. And I wrote down a list of all the places my money went. Visa, Amex, uh, Amazon credit card, car payment one, car payment two. And I started looking at all these checks I was writing to other people's banks. And I said, well, if I didn't know Visa that, I would be able to take this $500 back. If I didn't have that car payment, I would be able to make, take that $600 back. So what I started doing is using this system I just explained called the infinite banking concept to pay off my debts and all my loans. And as I paid them off, I just changed the name on the check each time. And I had that check go back into my bank. And in a very short period of time, under a couple of years, all my debts were gone. My car loans that I used to pay to somebody else now were being paid back to myself. And I'll tell you something, folks, this system I'm talking about can literally change one. If it did one thing, this would be the best thing for you. If you could get all the money back for every single car you ever buy, drive, and own, you'd feel really good about driving that car, wouldn't you? That's what I did. 
I paid off my car loan and I started making monthly payments back to myself for the same amount I used to give the car loan. And when I did that, my accounts kept growing and growing and growing. I didn't have to work any harder. I didn't have to work any longer. I didn't have to give up control of my money. It's actually taking back control. And I didn't have to take on any risk. That is single-handedly one of the greatest things I've ever learned about how money works. So Chris, a lot of people are listening to this and and thinking to themselves, this sounds like an amazing concept. Sounds almost too good to be true. What's the catch? I hear that every single time. And you know what? Not only did I hear that, or do I hear that? I said that to Mike when he first told me. And what's the catch? The catch is this. In order for someone to do this for you, to build that specially designed and engineered whole life, they'd have to give up between 60 and 90% of their commission so that you had access to 60 to 90%. So that's the reason you've never heard about it. And the other reason, the other thing that still boggles my mind is if it's so good, how come not everybody's doing it? Well, where do we get our advice from? We get our advice from banks, from financial companies. We get our advice from people that don't want us to be in control of our money. Think about it. Who are you taking your financial advice from? Is it somebody that has something to gain from you giving them their money? Oh, yeah, it is. So that's the problem. So, and the other thing too, is when people say it sounds too good to be true, I got to ask them, I got to say, number one, you got to look at yourself in the mirror and you got to really ask yourself that difficult question. Who is in control of my money? And if this is too good to be true, why are all the wealthy using it? You know, Will Rogers said a, a really awesome quote. He said, the biggest problem in America is not what people don't know. The biggest problem in America is what people think they know that just ain't so. Think about that. Who do you hang around with? Who are you taking your advice from? And who's telling you what your life should look like? Is it somebody that you admire, somebody that's living your perfect day or what would look like your perfect day? Or is it somebody that isn't living the life that you want? Sad reality is we take advice from people that typically are not living our perfect day. And that's what keeps us stuck where we're at. So Chris, are all the whole life insurance policy built the same way? Can I just go to any insurance policy and request to purchase a whole life policy from them and I would be able to use this concept or are there specialized places where I'm supposed to be doing this? That's a great question. And they're definitely not created the same. You got to remember, we're creating these the same way that the banks do or the big corporations like Samsung and, and many other big ones. We're creating them that way. The average life insurance store, I'm just going to kind of call it the life insurance, they have no clue how to design the plan to work for banking like this. So therefore, if you just went into your life insurance store and you said, I want one of those whole life policies to bank with, what you would get, would you'd look at it and you'd be like, that guy, Chris, of course, what he was saying is too good to be true. This doesn't look anything like what he was talking about. I put money in. I got no money in year one. I got no money available in year two. Like what gives? This sucks. Well, because you didn't do your due diligence. The people that know how to do this, and there's not that many of them in the country, to be honest with you, the firms and the companies like ours that only do this are really the ones you should be working with. And they should only be doing infinite banking. That's it. They shouldn't be doing infinite banking. And oh, by the way, we can sell your car insurance. Oh, by the way, we have health insurance. Oh, by the way, you want one of those Medicare supplements? You know, you went to the wrong place. When you walk in and they say, all right, let's get down to it. What do you want your banking system to look like? And how can we help you solve your problem? You're in the right place. And so, Chris, I guess from the infinite banking companies who are doing this, what kind of incentivizes them to be able to help other people do infinite banking as well? 
Well, I think it's a little simpler than that. It's not so much that they're doing it because they want to help you do infinite banking. They're doing it because their contract allows it. And they've been doing it for hundreds of years this way. And, and it's very simple. So if anyone's looking to know what kind of life insurance company should you look for, this is easy. You want to find a large mutually owned insurance company. And you just write this down, large mutually owned insurance life insurance company that pays dividends and has for over 100 years. And then we're going to get technical here. You want to make sure that they've paid dividends. And you also want to make sure that they are what's called non-direct participating. And that's a critical one because remember I said, if I put 100 in and I took 90 out, I'm still earning interest in 100. Not all insurance companies will. Actually, there's, there's more that won't than there is that will. So the companies that we use are non-direct participating companies or non-direct recognition is another word that they use. It means that they don't recognize the loan. So therefore, you're getting full uninterrupted compound interest on all of your money, even though you're holding most of it. Thank you so much for sharing, Chris. And so if somebody who wants to get started with this, what are the first steps that they should be doing once they figure out which companies or which policies to kind of use to move forward? What are kind of the first steps that they need to take? Well, I always tell people, you know, you got you to gotta do your due diligence, your research. So like YouTube's a great place. They could go to my YouTube, which is at the Chris Noggle. We've got case study after case study of our clients and how they're using it for different money problems they have from paying off all their debt to getting all the money back for all their cars to paying their property taxes on their rental portfolios to buying flips and being private lenders. I mean, all these different case studies. So you want to first identify what is it that you are trying to solve? What problem are you trying to solve? You know, are you trying to pay off your debt? And if that's the case, then what you should do is research like best ways to do that. And YouTube is just a fantastic place. So I would always say that's where they start is identify what you want to use your banking policy for, and then maybe do some some due diligence. Like me, remember that 90-minute video? So everybody can go to my YouTube or my website and they can watch that 90-minute video. That usually is enough to get people all the information they need to know how this works. And then from there, we jump on a call and we just answer any questions that you have. Awesome. Thank you so much, Chris. And so for you now, what is kind of like your next focus? What are you looking to do next? Yeah, so that's a great question. So my next focus, and it's actually in line with what my current focus is, is if so many people are being helped by this system, why is it that we aren't kids? So our next focus is what's called money education, the truth about money in a context that works for middle school and high school kids. And it makes money cool. It, it teaches people that money's a tool and how to use it by taking back control. So that's our next thing is we're taking this and we're going to start you know, trying to find different pilot schools that will basically use this as a pilot program and we'll see where it goes. And you know, along the way, we're always going to be helping people solve their money problems and help them take back control of their money. I think that's really great, you know, especially starting at a young age where they're very in tune to being able to develop and to learn these different types of concepts. And as they're growing up, they can utilize these types of concepts for their future versus the traditional path. And so it gives them a little bit more of an education on what else is out there. And so I think it's really great that you guys are starting at a younger age and helping those kids learn about these different types of concepts. Yeah, it uh, keeps me up at night. You know, I have a 10 month old now. And I, I often think about like, what if she didn't know this? Like I would have failed her miserably. So that's the big motivation there. And then what's also great is they take these concepts and then talk about it with their families and maybe introduce something new to their families as well that they might not have been introduced to before. Absolutely. It's contagious. 
So Chris, how has real estate investing impacted your life so far? Real estate investing has been amazing for us. I mean, we were really deep into it. Now today, which is is a lot of people don't understand why we're doing what we're doing, but we're selling off a lot of our rentals. We got up to 91 units that we had and we were doing quite well. We were flipping an awful lot of houses and running wholesale operations. Today, our real estate consists of selling our rental portfolios at crazy prices because the market's just silly. And then the only other real estate we're doing today is land flipping. So we're doing just like wholesalers for marketing, we're buying raw land and then we're wholesaling the land. And that's the division that we've been focused on. But Warren Buffett, this has had a profound effect on me you know, with the buy low, sell high and don't lose money. And right now I bought all the real estate we have at a relatively lower price. And right now they're at a high price. So we're just selling them off. And then the next cycle in a couple of years, 2022, 2023, we'll see the next drop. I'll start buying again. So I think real estate's just been pivotal because it's provided income for us, for me and my family to be able to go out and really learn how money worked. Without real estate, I could have never done all these things. It's also taught me a lot about what you know, what the wealthy do. I mean, you look at the wealthy, they all are in real estate one way or the other. So you want to get around that campfire with the wealthy individuals in a room, just look to the real estate investors. And that's kind of what I've always been intrigued with is what do the wealthy do that we don't and why? Do we not do that? So real estate's been a pathway to get me in front of them. And Chris, what is one thing that sets the successful people apart in the real estate investing business? The one thing that sets the successful in the real estate business is they never quit. And they are very regimented in how they do things. They have systems and processes for everything. So instead of just blindly going out and buying things, they have a process. They have a set of rules that they follow for each and every single property that they buy or every investment that they make. And I think that's where, I guess, I don't want to pick on a rookie, but that's where a rookie makes the mistakes. They're so excited they go out and they don't have rules. They don't have processes. They don't have systems. So when you really look at the two of them, the successful investor versus the rookie, that's the biggest differentiator. A lot of people say, oh, they have more money. No, they just learn how money works. They learned how to be resourceful. And because they learned how to be resourceful, they found the resources. And so do you have any tools or techniques that you can share that you've used to improve the efficiency of your life or your business? Well, from the business, yeah. I applied, I would just call it the Henry Ford approach, right? I'm not the smartest guy. And because I'm not the smartest guy, I'm very good at some things. I'm very good with money and I'm very organized with budgeting and all that. I'm terrible at typing. I'm terrible at so many other things that are required for a real estate investor. I can't swing a hammer. Don't give me a power tool. I'll be likely to cut my arm off or somebody else's. So if I wasn't good at those things, but I was good at certain things, what I did is I focused all my time on the thing I was good at and I hired out the things I was not. Henry Ford, why why I mentioned him is he was not a smart man, but he was good at dreaming up his business and he had a row of buttons. Every time he needed something he wasn't capable of doing, he had a button and he hit it and he had a button. And I think he went to court and there was a whole thing about this and how he was smart enough to know he wasn't smart enough. So he hired smarter people than he was. That to me is a genius. But that's not how society would interpret them. They would interpret them as being a dumb person or not somebody that's not smart. Well, I am that guy. I'm not that smart. I'm just really good at some things like money and I hire everything else out. So I would say, figure out what you're good at. Figure out what you would do for free. That's that's one thing I'm going to bring that up. What would you do if you didn't get paid for it? That's a good place to start. Once you figure that out, Figure out how you can do that and get paid for it and then figure out what needs to happen and all the people you need to do that and hire them. Because you probably, most people probably aren't capable of doing everything good. And if they try to do everything, 
not good at anything. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that, Chris. And I really appreciate you sharing the privatized banking and all the different concepts that we don't typically learn and we don't hear about that often and making it a little bit more clear for us and walking us through those steps and providing those resources for us. I appreciate you having me on the show. And so, Chris, if our listeners wanted to find out more about you and what you do and to learn a little bit more about this privatized um, banking and how they can get started with it, where can they go? Yeah, it's easy. Just go to my website, which is chrisnoggle.com. And then I'll give everybody on watches a copy of my book, which is called Mapping Out the Millionaire Mystery. Heck, you can get either one, the private money guy, which is where all the money is for your deals or Mapping Out the Millionaire Mystery. Just go to my website and scroll up and uh, there's a free book link. Just click on that and send you the book. Awesome. Thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate all the time that you spent with us today. I appreciate it again. And it was an honor being on your show. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate. We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifacecapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.